0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, Before I read this scripture, I just have a quick announcement. Um, A dear friend of mine that was... uh, Uh, a member of the village, had passed away this past Wednesday, um, Miss Lois. Um, And for those of you that know her, um, the viewing is tonight from 7 to 9 at Berge's, if you wish to go. I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance
1: Thanks, Tiffany. Let me pray for us as we uh, continue here. Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us. And as we continue to learn about this gospel, we're reminded of good news. Uh, And we do think about Lois, and we thank you for the time we've had to be able to have her as part of the church, uh, even in this illness she was going through. And we thank you, Lord, knowing that she knows you, that she's in eternal rest. We pray for loved ones, Lord, who still are here and and wrestle with the pain and loss and that your comfort would be real and tangible uh, even this evening, God. So help us, Lord, as we engage in this story. Look at who Jesus is. Uh, Remind us, God, again, of good news and give hope where it's needed. Give challenge where we need that. Give affirmation, Lord, of who we are in you. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So as we mentioned, we've been doing this series called The Story, um, and we're looking at the I mean, if we had like three years to do a series, I guess we could actually go through the whole Bible bit by bit. But we're taking six weeks and we're looking at uh, the storyline of the scriptures of the Bible through six messages. And the goal here is um, we're getting in-depth week to week, but um, it's kind of to pull back. And I don't know if you've ever ridden a plane before, but sometimes when you rise up in altitude and get to about 10,000 feet... Your perspective on things changes. You're able to see um, where where normal life, you're just, oh, I can just see what, what I see right around my eyes. But when you get up to that altitude, you see a bigger picture of how things fit together. And that's our goal here, to get more of a 10,000 foot kind of like view of the story of the Bible. See how things fit together and, and kind of try to get us past an idea of where we open up the Bible and just learn like a lesson just from there, which is good, but say, as we learn those lessons, how does it fit with one another? So our first week, a few weeks ago, we looked at creation from Genesis and saw that God had a plan to put all this together and he made it and there was intention behind it. And the week following, we saw that with the good idea of God, things went really bad. With the entrance of this thing called sin into the world. Things got broken. Where everything was whole, it became shattered. And then we saw that God has a plan. And that he has a promise. And, and just, we dug into it last week. Looked at like God has always had a plan. Ultimately, it would, it would culminate with Jesus. But it's not just a random set of occurrences. God's got a plan. And, and today, uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit more. And we're going to look at this idea of the gospel, but as we do that, as I was thinking about the Christian faith, um, I don't know everyone's background here, but if someone would ask you what is a Christian, probably most of us would answer with like, well, it's about what you do, uh, maybe for some, it's about where you go, like I'm a Christian, so on Sundays I go to this thing called worship at, at a church, And and those things are good, they're important, but fundamentally we want to affirm that the Christian faith is about who we follow, so the Christian faith is not just about some things we do or a place we go, as good as that is, but ultimately it's about who. It's a person who we follow and properly then seeing our lives in light of that relationship. Um, we, we want to affirm that when Jesus entered the world, our, our world has been transformed. And that transformation came through a hero. And just like I said with the, the little guys here, the hero of our story, his name is Jesus. And that's what we're looking at today with this idea of the gospel. And I am going to guess, if I if I would interview you guys, I'm not going to, so don't stress, but if I would interview you out of these six different messages of the series, you would probably look at this one and say, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe I'll learn something, but I got that one down. Gospel. Yeah, I, I've been doing that my whole life. I know it. I got that one. Um, but But what I'm going to suggest is that without seeing Jesus... In the context of this whole story of God, um, it's easy to reduce the gospel message really kind of to basic terms. Like maybe something like, I believe I'm a sinner. Um, I believe Jesus died to take away my sin. And now I can be forgiven and go to heaven when I die. Let me be really clear here yet. So you don't think I'm a, a heretic. I believe that's all good and true. That That's very good. Um, I affirm those things, but I'm going to also say this. If that's all that the gospel is, if, if, God, if the gospel is just about like a ticket, a passport stamp so you can get into heaven one day. Um, honestly, we don't need the rest of the Bible except for like a few verses in Genesis. Then that part where Jesus dies. And then like some verses from the Apostle Paul. We don't really need the rest of this thing. And, and our goal is to see kind of a bigger picture of, of the story. I love how uh, one theologian, Christopher, Christopher Wright, he describes, he says, the Bible tells the story of God's great project of restoring the whole creation through Christ, healing the division of the nations, and bringing salvation at every level of human and creational need and loss. That is the Bible's big story of salvation. So yeah, Jesus, when we follow him, it transforms us personally. Deeply. We affirm that, but guys, it never just stays at an individual level. It's not meant to. That's not the storyline of the Bible. So as as Tiffany read for us from Ephesians 1, chapter 11 through 14, we're going to start there, but I want to, uh, we've already read it, so you see it up there, but we want to focus on that phrase that you find in verses 11 and 13. this, This phrase, in him. In him. And that's one of the things we might kind of skip over usually, but in the New Testament, this Greek phrase, in him, in Christ, we find this over a hundred times, close to 114 times throughout the New Testament. And there's this continual theme that, that a Christian, is, is, it's not just a person who has information about Jesus. A Christian is not just someone who knows a lot about Jesus. Um, but in scripture, being in Christ is this powerful concept. It's understanding that the Jesus, he's collided with us and fundamentally transforms who we are. It's not just a religious activity. It's not just a new set of values. Who we are has changed as we're in Christ. And this also affects us as a collective people. So I want to look at, um, and we're just going to blitz through this, but I want to look at some significant things that we can notice throughout some of the Bible. We're not going to do it all, obviously. Because a 114-point sermon would be a lot. Um, but we're going to look at a few of what does it mean to be in Christ, to see this gospel. Uh, first example in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does condemnation look like? Uh, for me, an example of what condemnation looked like is when I first started preaching many, many years ago. Probably before some of you were born, which is really humbling. But when I first started preaching, my life changed dramatically. I went from not really walking with God to like within a month I'm preaching. Which you can imagine some of the content of some of those sermons. But what condemnation looked like for me was I would get up to preach... And I would have this fear that in the middle of my sermon, someone's going someone's to walk in in the back in this meeting. And it's going to be someone who I'd like, gotten in a fight with like six months before. Or maybe it's going to be a young lady who I had some inappropriate con- connection with. Or it's going to be someone who like I said something really, really not very holy to on the street. And they decide, you know what? Tonight's the night. i got to find Jesus. So I'm going to go to this church. Lord, speak to me. And they walk and say, oh, heck no. <laughs> you? That's what condemnation looked like for me. This kind of sense of you can't really rest because you're afraid you're going to be found out. Like you've got stuff that you've done maybe or that, that's part of who you are that you're, you're ashamed of. You're trying to keep it in the past. But even as you move forward, it continues to haunt you. It says, Ah, uh, yeah, you can pretend to be all holy moly, Jesus thumper, Bible thumper, yeah, but we know who you are, and, and that it would reveal itself. I mean, there's some stuff that I wish I could go back and change, and it, and it haunts me. And for some of us, the strongest source of condemnation is not from an outside voice; it's from within. Um, it's it's like. It it's like, I'm going to do my best Forrest Gump here, but it's like, life is like a toothpaste tube. <laughs> it's this idea that sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, but some of us really strong people, when you're brushing your teeth, you squeeze the toothpaste and the whole thing comes out. Like you're not thinking about it. You're like, man, there's just like no way to get back in there. Once it's out, it's out. You got like a cup of toothpaste sitting there now. But sometimes life feels like that, right? Like stuff has happened and you feel like there's no way to rewind. There's no way to bring that back here. But, but what we see here in Romans 8, 1, being in Christ, what we see here, the good news of Jesus, is that in Christ, I don't have to try to get that back again because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? That, that's a really good news. that this is, And this is not just about the past, but it's also about now. Like right now, here and now, today. And I hope for some of you here, Maybe some of you, you don't even know this word condemnation. You're like, oh, I'm free, right? I'm good. Maybe some of you, though, you're stuck in condemnation. You are haunted by things you wish you would have done differently. Maybe some says you've worked really hard to keep that in a closet. And you've got like padlocks on there. I hope for you, uh, if you're living in condemnation because maybe you're disobediently, rebelliously walking away from God, that no condemnation for you is beautiful news. That when you do experience difficulty in your journey when you feel taunted by your sin, when you feel like you have disappointed God, you've fallen away from him. There's no way you could sit with a straight face here that it's this idea that there's this kindness of God that leads us to come back to God. I love that in scriptures where we say it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of knowing Jesus loves us that draws us back and says, hey, no matter what you've done, come back. Come back. And when we disobeyed and strayed, we understand God's heart of grace and love. And guys, it's also no condemnation for the future. What it means is that all my sins on this thing called a cross were taken care of, past, present, and future. And that we don't have to live in fear that we're going to blow the whole thing up or that our screw-ups are going to somehow mess with the plan of God. But we can live in the humble confidence of faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's the gospel. Amen? And hopefully, that gives some of us hope here. Another example of in Christ, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so we, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So yes, just like we said, the gospel of salvation, it makes a deeply personal mark on me as an individual. I am different as a person. It, it, It does affect me individually But it's helpful to recognize that as we're sitting here in America hearing a sermon, we have got this Western individualistic approach to life that frames often what we see even when it comes to the Christian faith. And what that means, what it does, if we're not um, mindful of it, it, it takes Christianity and we can promote the personal impact as the ultimate expression of spirituality. So what that means is like, yeah, you know what? We should like go out and be like social justice warriors. And, you know, we should be kind people of mercy and feed the poor and we should be generous. But ultimately, what the Christian faith really is about is your personal relationship with Jesus. Let's not get it twisted. Um, But I want to suggest it's not meant to end at God's love for me. It's not meant to end at merely a personal, individual understanding of God's work. So yeah, there's no condemnation for me. That's real, it's beautiful. But it also leads us to the beauty that we see here in Romans 12, 5. What, what it's saying is it's the freedom experienced to recognize that life is experienced best the way that it was meant to be when things do not revolve around me any longer. Where our whole life narrative has been around like we're the main character and everyone else kind of... Freedom in Christ is the freedom to say it's not all about me anymore. Actually, freedom sets me to be able to think of others and find hope and life and live the way I was created. Because I follow a servant God who's about serving others as well. I serve a communal God, finding things like the Trinity. That God is a community as well. And that those who are in Christ are now a part of something much bigger than themselves. And that's what the church is. That's what the church is. I think there's intentional language why here it's called the body. And there's a lot of different words for the people of God, but one we see here is the body because it says every part is critical. Every part of a body is critical. And we think, and there's other passages that really dig into this deep, but if, if we think that there are certain parts of the body that are not um, as important, um, I, I'll suggest to you, when I was uh, running a race last year, I started to get a little pain in my little toe. And I've got a lot of, body right but my little toe is a very very small percentage but you would be shocked how just a tiny little body part that really hurt affected my whole being i'm miserable i'm like okay it's like that little toe i wish i could almost cut it off right now but i'm sure that would hurt more but because that hurts the whole rest of me is affected because i'm one collective thing that's who i am now that's that's my body and in the church as well every part is critical Your transformation is important. And we're going to press on that. We thought, you you got to be transformed personally. But what it's meant to do, it's meant to add to the collective transformation of this thing called the church. And that it's how we express ourselves to the world. As we're transformed individually, but then we bring all that together into one body. Then we show to the world, hey, this is what it looks like to be different. This is what God has done in our lives. Individually, but all together. Basically, every one of us matters. When we think about being part of a body. You matter. And maybe I can make this really touch of it. You matter to God. You are important. And I want to be really clear. I want you to hear, this is not like a every kid gets a participation trophy thing. Like, um, this is not meant to make everyone feel good. And, oh man, I know you don't feel like you matter, but you really do. Here's your Christian participation trophy too. Come on. It, it's not that. This is a matter of the health of the church. This is a matter of the health of the church. That because of who you are, you will add something to this church that no one else is able to because they're not you. Maybe another way to think about it is the village as a local church. We will never be all that we were meant to be without you if you're called to be part of this church. It's important that we're all in this together. And that happens because of the gospel. In Christ. Individually, but also community. Another one. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Um, I know this is a stretch for some of us, but has anyone in the room ever asked, man, why bother? Why bother like getting things ready for work? Why bother working hard? Why bother packing up these kids lunches every day? Why bother doing Bible study? Why bother getting things ready for worship? Why bother rehearsing music? Why bother doing anything? Um, I don't know if anyone experienced that. I, I, I know this will be a shock to you, but I sometimes ask that. <laughs> I was like, does this really make a difference? It, are these things I'm spending my life towards, is, is it actually doing anything? And I find great encouragement here in this, in this snippet of this letter that Paul writes to this church in Corinth. Why Paul wrote things like this? Have you ever wondered why Paul has to write certain things in his letter? Probably because they're ready to give up. He's saying, persevere. Don't give up. Your labor is not in vain. Why? They're probably like hitting it hard. And they've been working. And they've been doing it for years. And they've been faithful. And they've been trying to make disciples. They've been trying to reach out. And realistically, it probably is not leading to everything they thought it would. It's hard. And they're wondering, is this, is this worth it? Should we keep doing this? And it's an encouraging word because because of Christ, in Christ, there is no wasted work. There is no wasted work. Our labor is not in vain. It all has meaning. Whether you are a parent who sometimes you are like really frustrated. Is is it matter if I'm faithful and trying to train my children up? Because I don't see the difference. Like now, Maybe you're a Bible study leader. Does it matter how much time I'm putting to um, getting this discussion ready? Because it, it didn't seem to make a difference in, in community group tonight. Maybe you pray and you're like, does it really matter this time I'm spending praying? Because I don't see big change going on. what we have of our hope in Christ is our labor matters. There's no wasted effort here. It all has meaning. We might not fully recognize it, and this might not be satisfying for all of us here. Truth be told, we might never see the full impact while we're on this side of our bodies. We, we might not. Some of the fruit of our labor, you might never know while you still have life and breath in these bodies here. But praise God, sometimes he gives us glimpses. I remember a, a story I experienced personally. Uh, before the church started... Man, life was chaotic. I just tried to meet with as many people as possible, especially people that didn't know God. So I spent a lot of time. I remember this one guy. like I would meet with him regularly, once, twice a week. I would pick him up. We would go to a coffee shop. I have a donut. And we just talk about Jesus. And I did this regularly for a while. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? Good church planner. This is what church planners do. You reach people where they're at and you hang with them and you spend time and you love on them. You know, I love that term, love on them. What does that mean? But you love on them and, and you just get close. And, and as we got closer to church, I'm thinking, man, this is what church planners do. This is ministry. And boom, I never saw him again. And so I, I felt like a jilted lover. I'm like, yo, hey, you there? And don't text me about right there. Hey, it's me. <laughs> just, I'm outside your door. I thought today was the time. No. I, and, and just got really frustrated. I'm like, okay. Chalk that one up. Another waste. Man, that was a lot of hours spent doing that. I could have been praying more. Not that I would necessarily have been praying. But man, I could have been praying more. I could have been doing real. I could have been. You know, I. And, and wouldn't you have it. Like this was God it had, to be, it had to be like six years later. There was a man who walked into church. He came up to me. I didn't recognize He's like, hey, pastor, you remember me? I'm like, oh! <laughs> I was like, it's you! And I had to do it's you because I couldn't remember his name. Right? I was like, it's you! Where's our name tags? It's you! And, and then he just explained to me how like things went awry and he just had to separate off from me. But man, and, and this like almost made me, and I tend to be a non-emotional person, but at that moment I felt a little emotion. I, I, I mean, he was like, but I remember every single time we got together. It made an impact in my life. You you didn't know about it, but it did. And it's just these little glimpses that God, and he doesn't always give us those, but to be reminded, it does make a difference what we do. Whether we get to see it or not, in Christ, don't give up on the things God has called you to labor towards, even as mundane as it might feel sometimes. Another example being in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So why do we persevere in our labor? Why do we not give up? Because we believe that life in Christ transforms everything. Why does it transform everything? Because sometimes God even gives us evidence in our own lives. Sometimes we look at change in other people, but sometimes the evidence God gives us that he transforms is aspects of our own life. That when Jesus comes into my life, in him, the old is gone and the new is come. That, that once, what was so identifying about who I am, what was so prominent about my character, my nature, God has called that the past. He said, that's what you used to be. But now, in Christ, here is who you are now. It doesn't mean we might not struggle with those things, but he says, you are different. And man, this is such a phenomenal statement. I mean, this is power patch stuff here. Yeah, it means so much to me. So I often hear from myself, but even as I talk to people sometimes, especially when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, what's the common thing we often hear? That's just who I am. That's just me. That's just... And I say that a lot too. Especially if I'm being like a jerk. That's ah, just me. That's just the way, that's the way I process you know, we, we use different things to say that. That's just who I am. And for me, one of the things that just used to be I am, and again, I still struggle with it at times, but it was a real fierce temper. Like, I had a, a fierce, fierce temper when I was younger. It was still there, but it was more closeted. When I got older, volcano, it was out. And I had a lot of anger. Um, my temper was the type that if I'm walking along the street, if someone look at me funny, or if I think they're saying something racist, boom, we go right at it. Like, that was my temper. Like, fierce, angry. I hated people. And, and again, it wasn't overnight. But what happened was, I discovered Christ. He made an impact in my life. And, and there was a point in my life when God emphatically declared, this changes now. And, and once I'm found in Jesus... What was once in the past stays there and there's something new here. Again, it doesn't mean I don't struggle with it. There's still remnants, but fundamentally who I am is not that temper, rage-driven person any longer. To the opposite extreme, I'm able to love people that I would have never imagined myself loving before. I was a flat-out racist. (laughs) And now God has given me a desire to love people who are very different than me, when in the past, that would have been my reason for having temper and having anger and having rage How's all this happened? It's not because I've become better at controlling my emotions. But in Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. And I'm sure for a lot of you, you've got examples of that in your life as well. There's something that used to define you. But in Christ, you are fundamentally a different person. The old is gone the new has come. Another example, Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And this is talking about the fact that in Christ, what happens is it's not just joining a church. It's not becoming a little bit more religiously um, proficient. In Christ, you are adopted into family. Whereas once you were an orphan spiritually and in all other ways, now God has said, you're mine. You're my kid. You're in my family. And, and being part of family, it's, it's a radical concept. So one thing we've had to teach my children is when I'm standing up in front of church, you don't come up. Um, and start patting on my belly like a big drum. And you're getting a glimpse of our house because they love to do that at home. But I'm like, yeah, in church when I'm preaching, yeah, yeah, let's not do that, right? Because they, they think so highly of me and that's really just going to bring my reputation down in front of everyone. So let's not do that, guys. Um, but the truth is, they're my kids. If they do that, I'm good with it, right? Um, if your kid came up to me pull up my shirt and start patting it like a belly or like a, like it is a belly, but like a drum. Um, I wouldn't say nothing cause they're, they're your kids and I love them, but I'd be like, Oh son, you need to have a talk with your mama cause that's not appropriate. <laughs> You're not my kid. And that way we don't, we don't do that. Go, go pat Papa's belly, not mine. Because there's something about being the children that you have a certain intimacy and and personal connection with that you're able to have access that not everyone does because you're family. But I I think at a a level even deeper than that, though, more than just kind of individual family, I think when we're talking about in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. What it means is that in the gospel, it's not just because we this is, again, where we think kind of Western individual. Oh, yeah. And Jesus, now I've been adopted. I was an orphan. I was far away. But now I'm God's precious little boy or little girl. And and that's totally true. Totally true. But what it also means communally is that you've been given a whole bunch of other brothers and sisters now. It's not just about you. It's about family. It's about community. It's about that whole thing we joke about here. Like sister from another mister and brother from another mother. I mean, that's real. It's kind of a catchy little thing, but that's real. That in Christ, you are given family that you never had before. Why? Because Jesus reconciles those who are apart from one another. He reconciles us to God, but he also reconciles us with one another. And that's why the message of reconciliation is so tied to being in Christ. That's why we talk about it at our church a lot. Why do we... um, connect with those who might be culturally different than us? Why do we care about people who have nothing to do with uh, our experience? It's not because we're good people or it's not because it's the politically correct thing to do right now in 2017. It's because we look at the message of reconciliation. What did Jesus do? And because of that, then walls that have been between any person have been shattered where we become family. And, And literally, I can look at a young woman with skin tone much lighter than mine, with hair very different texture than mine, from like the middle of a cornfield in Iowa somewhere, and say, hey, sister! And I can say that with a straight face. Because in Christ, you've been made family. What it means then, in Christ, is you start caring about things that maybe don't affect you personally, individually. It's why, um, why, why do we care about Native people's rights? Not because we're Native people but because it, 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 it's, if we care about a brother or sister, because it, it matters for them. It matters for them. It, it moves their heart. So thus, that's what family does, right? Family is, um, you sacrifice for your family, even at personal cost to yourself. There's a lot of significance of being in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. If you're at the village long enough, I think you'll get that when we talk about life, I mean, we're intending that to mean something far greater than just what we see here. Um, it, It gives us hope for something eternal when the life here in the present is full of pain. And I think that's real. We need to talk about life and life eternal. But I think sometimes in that, um, sometimes we don't fully appreciate the significance yeah, that God wants to give us eternal life, but he also wants to provide us a fullness of life in every day, even in what we experience here and now. And it's going to be a shade. It's it's not going to be in its full glory, but we're able to get glimpses of that. And, and I think this is why so many of us, we like separate our, our Jesus life with the rest of it. And so we, we go do the Jesus thing, but then we really need to find fulfillment in the rest of my life. I need adventures. I need experiences. I need to go join this. I need new hobbies. I need to find a group of people. I need to sharpen. And all those are fine, but the key to joy is recognizing that in Jesus we experience the fullness of life as it was intended to be lived because as the creator of all things, God knows best. Cause there's, uh, and, and my hope is to kill this mentality. Cause there's a the hope, there's a the belief in some Christians. Yeah. And you hear it in testimony sometimes, right? Man, you know what? I used to live a crazy life. I used to like go around everywhere and do all these things and spend all this and be great. But now I follow Jesus and my life is all nice and calm. And I, I love worshiping here and there's so much passion in, in doing it. I'm like, come on, man. (laughs) The, The truth is that in Christ, we should be released to have full joy. We should have full passion. We should be able to enjoy our lives. Because the truth is that God is glorified when his children are living lives in Jesus. And it points to him that even in the midst of a broken world, we point to beauty. And you all think I joke about it when I talk about eating good food? I think that is a spiritually heavenly uh, matter. That you eat a good steak that's cooked perfectly, like with a lot of red in it. And you bite into it and you're like, oh, I'm worshiping right now. I, 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 I experience the glory of God right now. You think I'm just messing? That's, that's glory when you hear beautiful music. And it doesn't just have to be a Jesus song, you know, which I love Jesus songs. But it can just be beautiful music. You're like, wow, how does someone make that? Wow, how did that create created? You see like a beautiful work of art and, and someone's done, like things that I can't imagine, right? They get a brush and they get paint. And for me, what well, would just look like a giant mess and I would call it abstract, they're able to do something. You're like, wow, how did you do that? All I can do is praise God because we live life as it was meant to be lived. It means we can enjoy things that don't always seem spiritual, like hang out with a bunch of friends having a picnic. Or, or just playing sports, that we can experience the fullness of God and experience. Yeah, it's not fully there yet, but we get to see God working in this in the midst of a broken world. One more, one more. First Thessalonians five eighteen. <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. This is what happens when I get too excited, right? Really. Will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Have you thought about how radical of a statement this is? Give thanks in all circumstances. If it doesn't seem radical enough for you, imagine someone who's gone through severe trauma or tragedy in their life, and you get to say something to them. And as you're standing in front of their face, you tell them, oh man, give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, it sounds ludicrous. It it sounds ludicrous unless we understand that in Christ, everything Changes Even our view of all that seems wrong and lost in life, everything changes. First Thessalonians 5:18 in Christ. Can someone give me some water? what that <laughs> This is a powerful statement of faith and hope. What it's saying is that what we see Now, with our eyes, as real as it is, and as real as it appears, what we see is not all that there is. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. This is a revolutionary declaration. We're saying to a broken world that's groaning in lament, give Thanks. Not because everything is as it should be, but because we believe this does not get the final word. This tragedy, this brokenness, this hurt, this loss, this lament, this does not get the final word. So how do we know that all these different things about being in Christ... Have happened? Looking at verse 14. Until we acquire possession of it. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 here, until we acquire possession of it, I think better translated it's until God redeems his possession. Until God redeems his possession. And, and you see this, the good news is that all this happens. All this occurs. God does this in you, in me, and in us. Not because we're good. Not because we did what's right. Not because we fixed ourselves. Not because we finally started living like the heroes that we should be. But because we just said, I believe you can do these things in me. You can redeem the world through the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of this hero of this story, Jesus Christ. Lord, make me your own. Help me. Help us. And at that moment, this starts. There's transformation in Christ. And we start living out our life in God. So let me ask you to stand with me right now as we respond to this word. We mentioned many different aspects of being in Christ. And I'm guessing with a room like this, different ones appeal to where you're at in your life. But can I invite you right now as we sing, as we come remember through communion, the gospel, we remember the hero of the story that we embody here, Jesus' broken body, his shed blood that forgives our sins. And I want to invite you, if you are in Christ, as you take the communion, as you pray, to be reminded, what does it mean for you to be in Christ? What does it mean for you to be in Christ? It's not just a religious posture. It's not being a do-gooder. But it's fundamentally things have changed in your life. So I invite you to just rest in that. Take the communion as you bite down on that uh, bread. S- soaked in the wine. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus that's allowed that to happen in your life as you believe in faith. If you're not a Christian... The best thing I can invite you to do today is make Jesus your own. Say, Jesus, I need help. I am broken. Who I am is fundamentally broken. I need a healer. I need a hero. Be my hero, Jesus. And his promises are good. He will save you. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us. Help us as we respond to this gospel. Let it not be so elementary, just this... A little statement of how we get to heaven as important and as crucial as that is. But Lord, let it be about what it means to be known in you that we are changed and our world is changed. So help us, Lord, to rest in that and to claim that in victory. We love you, Lord. Help us as we sing, pray, receive this Lord's Supper and believe in you again. So let's do those things. Feel free to pray with others as well, but let's respond to the word of God this morning. In the cups of Jesus' blood, I want to invite you, if you're a Christian, to come up during this time of response. Receive communion. Remember the one who loves you, even if you think no one else does. And meditate on that deeply and have your heart girded in that. Lord, help us as we come to you this morning. Lord, I think these areas, sometimes it just reveals real stuff of our heart. It reveals where we don't fully think you're enough. Thank you for grace that gently brings us to you. Would you remind us even in this time as we meditate upon the Lord's Supper that you tell us over and over again that you're enough. You want to be enough. You give yourself so that you would be enough. So help us to meditate on that. Pray about that. Maybe some of us need to repent. Make some hard choices. Lord, but we love you. We thank you for showing us what sacrifice looks like. So let's receive communion, pray, sing, whatever you need to do. Pray with one another if God's leading you to do that. And let's respond to the word.